we know that the number one expense cost in most businesses is dealing with the lost productivity in their employees and it ties into depression. So the World Health Organization has done studies that show that, you know, that is the biggest business cost many organizations face in terms of lost work days, lost productivity, turnover, uh, and that's just depression. Welcome to Passion and Profits Without Burnout. I'm your host, Jacob Moore. I'm a speaker, coach, childhood suicide loss survivor, and filmmaker who left Hollywood to follow my heart of service. I've helped tens of thousands of people find the balance in their life between passion and profits. On this show, I'm going to teach you how to build a trauma-responsive, resilient, and impactful community and organization, all without burning out. Let's get started. Mike Bushman, welcome back. I'm excited to wrap up this three-part episode on um, how to create a mentally healthy work environment. We've already talked about in part one, um, how to run ideal stress environments. In part two, adjusting for individual minds uh, while in a supervisory role. During this segment, we're going to talk about achieving stronger operational results or SOAR, as you call it. For those who are not yet convinced that they need to be running ideal stress environments and adjusting for individual minds, Mike, can you share what the stakes are here? Why is it important from an organizational perspective to make these adjustments for employees and to the culture of an organization? Well, I think it starts with, you know, we know that the number one expense cost in most businesses is dealing with the lost productivity in their employees and it ties into depression. So the World Health Organization has done studies that show that, you know, that is the biggest business cost many organizations face in terms of lost work days, lost productivity, turnover, uh, and that's just depression. And then you add anxiety, bipolar disorder, all the other, you know, PTSD, all the other mental health challenges. And pretty soon you're talking, you know, historically that was about 25% of the population has a diagnosable mental health condition mm -hmm. of which only less than half are diagnosed and less than half of those are being treated. But, you know, that's a pretty big part of your population that has some particular challenge where how management interacts with them can either make them more productive or dramatically less productive. So making that, uh, making these adjustments, running that ideal stress environment, adjusting for individual minds makes a big financial difference, you know, and it's on the orderitude of several percent of, of earnings that is lost to just the mental health aspect of it, let alone getting into the productivity piece. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're talking about, you know, percentages of population, I think something that I want to just make sure is is clear to those who are listening is you know, when when we're talking about those who are actually diagnosed, those who are treated, it's I think you said before a quarter of the population um that we're working with here 
who need some type of accommodation, whether or not they have an ADA plan, right? Right. And that quarter of the population was actually pre-pandemic. Hmm. We know that depression and anxiety rates soared, in some cases nearly doubled among adults and certainly among kids, uh, which has its translating effect on their parents. Of course. So, you know, it may be even a greater challenge than that is uh, in today's environment where we're still in recovery from pandemic in terms of the mental health challenges people are facing. Yeah, absolutely. And then we just look at normal life circumstances, right? Um, life is, has trauma inherent right. in it, whether it's, you know, loss or, you know, grief that we're dealing with, um, the financial stressors, um, and, and certainly social dynamics. Um, there's, there's a lot that people are dealing with outside of the workplace that of course they bring with them into the workplace. There's no, um, you know, work Jake and non-work Jake. I'm just Jake, and and what what comes, you know, what what affects me outside of the of of my work affects me inside of it as well. So we, you know, we're really talking about needing to pay attention to everyone. Um, now, whether or not we need to make accommodations is a different, you know, different situation. But um, certainly, we need to be cognizant of what what's affecting people, right? Yeah. And actually you raise a really critical point. Um, there's been research done on hedge fund managers, individual hedge fund managers versus group hedge fund managers, research done on CEOs versus board members. And what it shows is death of a family member, child, spouse, somebody close for a CEO leads to as much as a 10% drop in earnings of that company wow. in the year after in the years after that death of a individual hedge fund manager re results in a drop in performance of that individual hedge fund. Now, when the hedge fund manager encounters a death and they're part of a collective group decision, there's no impact because the group around them makes a difference. Just as they showed with board members, you know, the board members can suffer the same kind of loss that a CEO would suffer. And there's no collective impact on the organization's performance. So I think one of the takeaways from that research and from some other research is that when you have somebody going through a, ter a, a terrible loss, a grief, a struggle, that might be the time to get them more involved in group projects, mm. uh, to take them away from that individual performance role where there's nobody supporting them. Because as we're going through these life difficulties, having a team around you, a supportive team can make a real difference in your ability to cope, uh, the oxytocin uh, release that we get from interacting with people we respect and care about mm -hmm. can help to, you know, provide a little bit of just positive brain chemistry that makes it just slightly easier to endure uh, some of those traumas. So I, I think there's actually a benefit to all employees looking at what they're experiencing and dealing with and maybe making modifications whenever you can. Uh, in how their work is assigned and what they focus on. Yeah, Mike, what I hear you saying is that the same approach that we take outside of work for you know healing, which includes surrounding ourselves with community, 
whether that be you know family or peer support, like-minded you know people or um, our, our therapeutic relationships, that bringing that same idea into the workplace is imperative for mitigating the effects of you know trauma or loss um, that we might experience as well, right? Uh, absolutely. And I think whenever somebody's dealing with something that's just really painful and difficult, that that group support, that peer support, that community support, having a place that you feel like you belong can be really healing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, you know, you may not see it day one, but you definitely see it over time. So, uh, you know, if there's a takeaway, you know, as we've looked at some of the adverse life event research, is don't isolate those people. Don't put them in roles where they don't have anybody around them. You know, get them involved in a group project, even if their job requires them to be, you know, spend 90% of the time doing just individual at their computer work. Yeah. That's the time you want to assign them to get involved in something that, uh, you know, has a, a bigger corporate role or just ask them to take on uh, an additional project as long as you can do it in a way that doesn't overwhelm them physically. And uh, because having that community around them definitely can be a difference in helping to re-engage, re-motivate, comfort them all at the same time. Absolutely. Mike, I'm reminded of my conversation with um, Megan Reardon Jarvis, um, who is an expert in um, grief and loss. Um, and and um, she talked about this um, culture that often happens uh, in the workplace and at large as well, where when someone experiences um, some type of loss, um, oftentimes our instinct is to to leave them alone, right? We don't want to bother them. We don't want to, um, you know, force ourselves upon right. them. We want to give them space and time to be able to process and, and do what they need to do. Um, but in fact, uh, what the research has shown is that those individuals actually, like you said, need community around them. They need people to come around them and, um, and to be there, um, not to necessarily, um, to, to, to talk about what's happening, but just to be present right. um, in that the effects of a, a loss of community actually exacerbate what um, that loss uh, is and can lead to um, some really detrimental effects in, you know, that sense of isolation. So, um, you know, just to reinforce what you're saying, it's it's vitally important that we come together around um, our coworkers and our, our um employees who are experiencing some type of, you know, traumatic or adverse experience in their life. Yeah. And I, I certainly learned over from my own experience with struggling with depression, my, my go-to response, and this is actually fairly normal for people who struggle with depression is when I'm struggling, my natural instinct is to withdraw. And what I've learned is that's exactly when I need to reach out to my brothers, my friends, other people that I know I'm going to have positive interaction with, even though I might feel exhausted pretty quickly in dealing with that interaction, I need it. And that's the case in the workplace. When we get, when we deal with something difficult, you know, the natural instinct of a lot of people is to try and step back when, and that's when others need to reach out and say, let's get you engaged. Uh, but to your point, it doesn't be, have to be talking about their grief. It's just, 
sometimes just being distracted by doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. So, you know, bringing this into this idea of um, achieving stronger operational results, um, what I'm hearing as a strategy here is um, this idea of group work or group projects or group decision making. Um, can you share a little bit more about that? You know, what's sort of the process for um, doing that? Because I, I would imagine it can be a little bit tricky, you know, if someone's it, it going through something, then to, you know, say like, Hey, we're gonna we're gonna take you off of this solo project, and now you got to work in a group and be babysat. Like that, that's not gonna feel good, right? So, how do you tactfully approach that situation right. to make them, um, you know, help them understand that you know this is something to, um, so that they feel supported? Yeah, I th I think a lot of it is just how you approach them. It's uh, just saying, hey, you know, we want to get you engaged. You've got a lot of value to the organization. Maybe start with saying. I want to remind you that, you know, you're our top performing person at this. You're really great at how you interact with people. And those skills are going to be valuable if we can have you as part of this project for a while. Mm. And then, you know, if you can help us with this, you know, obviously we're going to move back. What you don't want to do is make them feel unsettled about their security within the organization. Yeah. But just let them know this. No, this is this is us respecting how valuable you are to the organization. Uh, and you don't want to treat it as uh, you might not be able to handle doing this on your own. You want to say, you know, we need you uh, to be engaged in this. And I know you've got a lot of difficulties in your life, but people need to be relied on. Mm -hmm. They want to be needed. And when you've suffered some loss, knowing that you're needed can help re-energize and provide that sense of purpose. Yeah. You know, the one caution, you know, and I think you've we've talked about this in the past is, you can't overwhelm them. You can't make it so burdensome that they're physically just exhausted. And it's more than the, they can handle because that, you know, that can actually spiral the wrong direction. So you do have to pay yeah. attention to have, have I just given you more with no resource or no time, or am I giving you something different and giving you the time and capacity to take it on? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And that reminds me of what you talked about in the last segment, um, adjusting for individual minds, this idea of, you know, longer term projects and that, that allow people to work at their capacity during any given time, I think is a really, like, it's a genius approach, um, because you are, I think doubling down on your investment in that employee by saying, Hey, here's something, a project that it's vitally important that you're involved with. And it's a long-term project that says to them, that's, that's that, you know, affirmation that, Hey, we see you here in the future, uh, and for the long run. Um, right. but understanding that right now, because it's a long-term project, we can titrate the workload as necessary. And if there's a little, you know, less that, um, you're able to produce right now, that's okay. We can, we can focus on broad strokes right now and then get into more detailed, more intensive work later. Um, and then if you are also involving others, um, to help, you know, share the decision-making in the workload, then you really have a, a beautiful balance of, 
you know, that long-term vision um, or that long view, and also this group work that helps to actually, you know, reduce some of the burden on someone. So I, I think that's a brilliant approach. Yeah, for sure. No, it's something that uh, just trial and error, uh, it made sense to me and tried it and it works. And I can't guarantee it will work with everybody, but I know it works better than just leaving people isolated. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and w- when we're talking about, you know, this idea of, you know, achieving stronger operational results and, and how imperative it is as an organization to make these investments, I'm sort of me personally and, and my skill sets, um, which I'm realizing might be <laughs> slightly limited in this way. It, it just seems like you have to simultaneously have your eye on, you know, the big picture and understand, um, a lot of right. dynamics. Um, certainly, you know, the, the projects, um, both short and long term, um, the staffing and, and how they interact with, you know, these long-term, you know, goals and strategies, um, while simultaneously being focused on the individuals and those details and the minutia of, you know, what's happening in those dynamics day to day. That's, that's a lot. That's, um, really, I think, um, it, it to me it seems a little daunting um to have to do both simultaneously how how were you able as a manager to to really achieve that balancing act yeah and, and the reality is you're not going to get it right all the time so this is all you know you make progress you try and do the best that you can with what you know but it's really not as time consuming as many people think it is it's really just about even being aware of the concepts which is why I think the Rise Aim Soar training is so valuable, because if you haven't even thought of these conceptually, it's not even going to cross your mind to make those adjustments for the individual mind. Sure. When you're aware of the concepts, I think a lot of these things come much more naturally. You know, a lot of our gut instinct tells us what the right answer is. If we've been exposed to language that says, trust your gut instinct, because this, this is an approach that makes sense then you're going to say, okay, I'm more likely to do it then because you didn't get it in your MBA. I didn't get it in my MBA courses. Right. And, you know, we didn't talk about mental health management uh, at, in, the, in the MBA program. But if you've been exposed to the business side and the mental health side, you can see how, you know, brain capacity, brain health has everything to do with the um, ability of the employee to perform at a high level. Uh having them engaged has everything to do with employee retention mm-hmm. with, you know, reducing those turnover costs with, uh, not having lost work days with improving, you know, the interactions of the people inside the organization. And, you know, as we talked about how many people struggle, you know, if you've got 25 out of hundred people in an organization who have a diagnosable mental health condition at any given time, how many people does each employee touch? Well, usually several at least. Yep. So you've really affected the whole organization by not doing anything. So if you can make minor adjustments, it's not only improving the performance of that one person, it's improving the performance of people around them who say, oh, you're holding this person accountable. They're performing at a high level. Yeah. This is a high performing organization. 
I need to perform at a better level to make sure I stay part of a high performing organization. If you've got an organization where people are not performing at their capacity, everybody around them sees, yeah, we, you can get away with stuff here. Sure. And you don't have to put in the effort. Uh, and so it has an effect of dragging down that entire organization in a way that might not be visible in one day. But if you look over time and the research that's been done that looks at it over time, we know it makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate that perspective, uh, Mike, and, and this idea that, you know, we really can like that. It's okay to make mistakes, that it is part of the process of, you know, being a manager, being a leader. Um, you don't have to get it right. And it's not, um, you're not going to find it in a textbook. You're not going to find it in a, in an MBA course. Um, this is something that you have to, um, do and practice in order to get, get good at, you know, the skill set of, you know, really making these, these adjustments. And, um, one thing that I, you know, I, I appreciate about you and your approach, Mike, is um, that just bringing awareness is uh, enough of a start, um, and and that for me, yeah, for sure, is really helpful. Just to um, take the pressure off and to say, no, it, it's okay. Let's let's just start by learning this language of making accommodations. And, you know, tr trying to understand right. what people's needs are, um, that's, that's where we go first. That's great. Yeah. And it, it, it makes me think of a woman who worked for me who was a really good performer. And then over a period of several months became just really aggressive, maybe even verbally abusive to the point where we had to, we had to take her out of the organization had I been thinking about what was going on and that this was not normal for her and intervened earlier, I would have just asked, you know, something's different about you. You seem much more upset. Is there something going on that it would be helpful for us to know? And come to find out they were dealing with a really nasty personal situation that had a dramatic effect on, on her personality. And had we been able to just help her get help with that personal situation, we wouldn't have had to go through all of the hassle of dealing with, you know, exiting her from the organization, trying to replace her, which took actually a couple of times to find mm -hmm. somebody who was as good. So there's, there's a selfish reason to do it. So when we talk about strengthening operations and results, it's about thinking selfishly beyond what, what makes me feel good today and really what helps me in the long term and what helps the organization in the long term. Because uh, it's easy to just react to what bothers you today yep. in a way that helps relieve your tension, but does it fix the problem and fix the organization? And usually that gut instinct reaction, or not the instinct reaction, but the first uh, reaction might miss what's really reaction. happening. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's, um, really, a, a just a, a really mindful approach to, you know, these, these challenges. And it, it sort of reminds me of couples therapy a little bit. Um, you know, this idea of like, what, what do I ultimately want out of this situation? What do I ultimately want from this relationship? Right. And what are the short term, you know, um, 
maybe um, sacrifices or compromises that I can make in order to achieve what I'm looking for long-term in this relationship. And I think the, the more that we bring that mentality to the workplace, the better off we're going to be and the better uh, managers um, we're going to be and the better results we're going to achieve. So I think that's fantastic. Mike. Um, yeah. I, I like that perspective and I think it's exactly right. Oh, thank you, Mike. Um, as we wrap up um, this uh, three segment episode here um, on Rise, Aim, Soar, can you share maybe final takeaway? What What is it that um, you want people to understand as they walk away from this and um, maybe want to explore these more in-depth workshops on Rise, Aim, Soar? Yeah, I think the big takeaways is, you know, our brains are complex. You know, each one of us has 86 billion neurons. Each neuron has roughly 10,000 points of connection. There's at least 100 different brain chemistries that help information move, determine even whether you can be happy in that moment. So, you know, the idea that people should at all times be able to make their brain work optimally, it just doesn't make sense. You know, nobody hesitates to get somebody to teach them how to play 88 keys on a piano. Right. But we all hesitate to get a brain coach. If we normalize the concept of getting a brain coach, we're all going to be better off. And if you think in organizations, how many organizations will hire an executive coach for that high level, really expensive, high paid position, but then won't spend 400 bucks to help somebody who's a frontline employee succeed at a much higher level with the returns that on average are $1,800 for the $400 investment. Uh, so, you know, we have to think of it in terms of there's a return here and we're helping this person, you know, perform at their best. We're not trying to say that you shouldn't get rid of poor performers. Every organization has poor performers. I had people who were just in the wrong roles and our company didn't have the right roles who went on to other organizations and really succeeded. And they stayed friends because, you know, we talked about here's what you're really good at. That's not what we need. So how do we get you to move to a job where you're doing the things you're really good at? And, you know, you, you can help the employee uh, while helping the business because then you're replacing them in that case with a better employee. But most of the talent that you need is already inside the organization. And if you just make minor adjustments, very simple adjustments in some cases, sometimes a little more complex, but those simple adjustments have returns that are many times what it costs to, to implement that. And, you know, from a manager's standpoint, you may have to invest several minutes mm -hmm. in, you know, meeting out the assignments as the person can handle it or a couple of hours and listening to a presentation a couple of times, you know, that you might not otherwise want to. But when you compare that time to what you save by having better work, having lower turnover, having engaged employees yep. who are performing at a high level, the returns are just significantly greater than whatever you invest in it. Yeah, absolutely. And Mike, uh, I'll link in the show notes here um, where people can um, learn more about you and this uh, this program, Rise, Aim, Soar. And, um, you know, that's something that I would encourage, you know, all of our listeners to do is, you know, really look at that investment, um, you know, individually and, you know, organizationally to um, just help ensure that everyone across 
um, you know, the entire culture of, of a company is, uh, is speaking the same language and on the same page. Um, like you said, we all need that brain coaching and, um, and that shouldn't yep. be something that's just reserved for the C-suite. Right. Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you so much. This has been um, invaluable and I really appreciate your time and, um, and just the great work that you do. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. And as you know, as I've told you, I've always enjoyed working with you and love what you contribute to the world and to the community and uh, just uh, look forward to continuing to work with you whenever we get a chance. Likewise. Thanks so much for listening to Passion and Profits Without Burnout. I hope that you found some impactful takeaways. And if you did, I'd love to hear from you. Share a screenshot on your IG story, tag me, or send me a quick message. This show is for you, so any feedback is welcomed. Hey, and make sure you're also subscribed to the show so you don't miss any of our new episodes. And if you could, take a few minutes to leave me a five-star review. That'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening, and be well.